Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today, our weekly analysis of the Parsha, with an emphasis on the lessons that we can extract for today, for this week. We know there are no coincidences in whatever Parsha we're reading. It's because there are messages embedded within it, not coincidentally for today. That Parsha, that week, are those messages for that day. So that is the uh, framework or the filter through which we analyze the Parsha. And this week we have the privilege of learning and studying Parsha's Ve'era, page 318 in the article Stone Chumash. We begin, as always, with gratitude, a thank you to our generous sponsors of the series for the year, Becky and Ami Katz, and family memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Lili Nishmas, David Ben, Menachem Monish. The year is also dedicated for Daniela Benyamin's birthday. Happy birthday, Daniela. By the Saka family, commemoration of the 50th year, of their father, Yosef Ben Salim, on the 23rd of Teves. By Gerald and Susie Kirschenbaum, in memory of their father's year, Yosef Ben Svi and Mordechai Ben Ephraim on the 25th of Tevit as well. And though uh, he didn't sponsor, a special shout out to my good friend Mark Gerson, who shared with me that he listens to a Parsha Shear of mine every day of the week. He's on a treadmill somewhere listening to this. So thank you, Mark. And you inspire me with your uh, curiosity for learning. It's really something very special. Parsha Tevit, page 318. We are continuing the narrative. We are continuing the story that has been unfolding, no matter how many times we've read these parshios, no matter how familiar we are with the narrative, with the story, no matter how much we know it ends, the suspense is nevertheless gripping. And every year we read it, or we're meant to read it, as if we don't know the outcome. We don't know what's going to happen. And we're supposed to read it with new glasses, look at it with new pair of eyes, to understand what was driving Paro, what's driving Moshe and Aaron, what's in their mind, what's in their thoughts, what are they, uh, what are they thinking about when they come. So let's start at the very beginning, which is always an excellent place to start. God spoke to Moshe and he said, I am God. And just on this opening Pasuk, as is often the case, I tell you, you could start with the opening Pasuk and get stuck right there. If we do read it with an eye on trying to understand, not just trying to get to the Haftorah, Musaf, and the Kiddush, then we will be bothered by several questions. This Pasuk is no different. Hashem, what's the question? Why the change? Why the shift? What happened? God is speaking. God has many names. We use many names for God and they depict, they reflect different aspects of Hashem. There's the Hashem of justice and the Hashem of compassion. There are different components, different aspects of Hashem. Hashem. We begin with Elokim Midas Hadin, the aspect of judgment, of justice, of strictness, the Elokim of God. Vayomer Elav, and he introduces and says, Ani Hashem, nice to meet you, I'm Hashem. That name Hashem reflects not justice or judgment, but rather Midas Harachamim. So which God is it? And it's not that God has multiple personalities. Chalila, he doesn't have a disorder. We know that we also have different components to ourselves and parents. Sometimes a person engages and encounters their parent. Sometimes it's the mother and the father are different. Even within the same parent, you could have a different perspective. Sometimes there's overflowing compassion, flexibility, and other times there's justice and there's judgment. So God begins, Vaidaber Elokim, it's Midas Adin. And then when he introduces himself, the continuation of the Pasuk, Ani Hashem, Midas Harachim, from judgment and justice to flexibility and compassion, which is the real God, what is God trying to communicate here? Did this ever bother you before? Is this your very first time reading Parsha's Vaera? <laughs> so these are the kinds of questions. These should bother us. They bothered the Rishonim, they bothered the early medieval commentaries, and it bothered the later commentaries. And it's only when we're bothered, when we're agitated, will it be the catalyst to come up with nice explanations and beautiful suggestions. I was with a friend yesterday who came up with a new, a new program for us. He said we should start a program called Stark Tank, where people give their chidushim in front of three rabbanim, and the rabbanim decide whether the chidushim are worthwhile or not, and we'll call it Stark Tank. <laughs> I thought it was a good idea. Anyway, so you have to be bothered by a question to come up with a Stark uh, suggestion. Rav Zayd we've been quoting Rav Zayd I had never heard of him, but now I love his Torah. Rav Zayd who was the mashkiach of Yeshiva's Torah, or... He says the following. He says, at the end of the previous parsha, Hashem, Moshe says to the Hashem, Moshe says to the Rebbeinu Shalom, Lama Lama Why 
Why have you done such harsh things? Why are you doing such terrible things to the Jewish people? Why are you harming them? Why do they have to suffer? Why do they have to endure? Why have you sent me? And Rashi says, So Moshe Rabbeinu is complaining to God about two things. Moshe Rabbeinu is resisting his shlichus. He is complaining to God about two things. Number one, Why are you being so difficult? Why are you being so, so practicing such justice with his people? You've brought such evil. You brought such pain, such suffering upon the people. It's not just that you haven't saved them, but rather you're living not only with Hester Panim, not only are you hiding your face, God, but that hiddenness is exposing the people. They're suffering. Moreover, and why did you send me on this mission? You sent me on this kamikaze mission. You sent me right into the lion's den. You sent me right into the palace of iniquity. And you want me to confront Paro. You want me to make these demands of Paro. Why are you doing it? So Hashem answers him. So God answers about the shlichus. God answers, I sent you. You're my agent. You're my messenger. You're my ambassador. You're going to liberate them. We spoke about this past Shabbos. God says, now go. Carry out your mission. We wake up in the morning, there are two types of people. There are those who takers, there are those who think the world owes them. There are those who feel rights and entitlement. I'm alive, I'm here, now the world owes me. What are my rights? What are my privileges? What are my entitlements? What comes with this membership called life? What comes with this subscription? What do I get out of it? And then there are others, and that's how we're meant to live, which is not what can I take, what can I extract, not what are my rights and entitlements, but What's my mission? Why am I here? What difference am I meant to make? What am I uniquely positioned to do in this world that no one else can do? What's my shlichus? What is my mission? What is my mission? So God says to Moshe, Lecha go, Eshlachacha, you're on a mission. You're my shliach. You represent me. And when you wake up in the morning with a sense of shlichus, that I'm here for a mission, that I have something to get done. Rabbi Emunasacha, God, your faith in me is great, and that's why I woke up this morning, and I yet have more to accomplish. I quoted on Shabbos, but I'll repeat it now, because today I think is the Alter Rebbe's yurt site. There's no Lubavitchers here. <laughs> Hundreds of people, not one. Oh, today's the Alter Rebbe's yurt site. So the Alter Rebbe, a chassid once came to him and gave Kvitel uh, the names of the family members and asked for all these brachas. I need help with Parnassah, with a livelihood, gesund, with good health, with nachas for my children, a long list of things. So the Alter Rebbe turned to the Chassid and he said, you've given a lot of thought and you've worked hard. You've given a lot of thought and a lot of time to what you need. Have you given thought and time to how you're needed? You've given a lot of thought to what you need. Have you given thought and attention to how you are needed? Shlichos, how are we needed? Why are we needed? For what are we needed? How can we become the people we were meant to be? So Shlichas Hashem answered. But Hashem never seemed to have answered the question of Lama HaReyosa. The people are suffering. The people are struggling. Moshe is bothered. It seems to be an injustice. Why? Why? And God answers his name. We end last week's Parsha and Moshe says, What did you send me for? And why would you do this to the people? And Hashem says, Ani Hashem. Moshe says, that's nice, that's lovely, that's not what I asked. That's not my question. It's an extra piece of information. That itself is the answer. God said to Avram at the covenant, I got originally ordained that they would be slaves for 400, and 400 years, and then God had mercy, and it was only 210. And in fact, there was a taina on God. You said 400 years, it's only 210, it's a little more than a half. So Kosh Baruch Hu said, if they would sink any lower, if they would sink any lower into the level of corruption, moral decadence, and decay, they would lose their identity, forget about it. They'd be lost, there'd be no chance. What did he do though with that promise? 
So on the one hand, God is a person of his word. He promised at the birthday of Sarim that they would be slaves for 400 years. How could they only serve for 210? The answer is that God consolidated the 400 into 210. The intensity, the severity, the pain, the suffering, the koshi of the shibud, the intensity and the suffering of the servitude was consolidated, was condensed, was 400 years in 210. So that intensity that they underwent, in fact, was an expression not of justice, was an expression of compassion. If God were just, if God were true to his word, they would have been there for another 190 years. But God, out of rachamim, out of compassion, consolidated and intensified. And that's out of the election is the understanding. You wonder, you, Moshe, are bothered. Where's the justice, God? How could you do this, this suffering so terribly? You need to know, Ani Hashem. I'm the God of Rachamim. What you perceive as strict justice is an expression of compassion. I'm infinite, omnipotent, omniscient. You are finite and mere mortal. You can't see and you don't understand the cheshbon. You don't understand the equation. But you need to know that from your perspective, what looks like justice, from your perspective, what, perspective, what looks so unfair is in fact an act of kindness. Is an act of kindness. And if I would do the opposite of what you're asking, that would in fact be something which is unkind. And this is the lesson, this is a message, we speak about it every week in our living with Amunah Shir, that as we endure life, as we go through life, we want to understand it going forward, but we can only understand it in retrospect, living backwards. And that's what Moshe says to God, not now, later, Parshish Kisisa, I want to understand your ways. And God says, you cannot see my face. You can only see the back of my head. You can only understand in retrospect, retroactively. Sometimes things come together, you can make sense of it. But when you're living it in real time, you need to know you're not entitled. I find often people want to understand, we demand to understand, we feel entitled to understand where was God and how was God and how could God. And these are legitimate and compelling questions. They're painful questions for people going through a hard time. But we need to know that with the admission, with the belief that there is a God, is the belief and the admission and the concession that therefore there are things that we cannot and will not understand. If we demand or feel entitled to understand everything, then we could offer all the lip service in the world to say we believe in God, but we don't. With the belief in God comes the implicit admission or the concession. We have to surrender that there are things we don't understand. He's infinite and omnipotent and we're finite and mere mortal. And we don't see from our perspective. Only he sees from his. And that's what Hashem was saying at the opening. Yes, I'm an Elohim. I practice judgment. I practice justice. There is a Midas Adin. But also, Ani Hashem. Fundamentally, under it all, Ani Hashem, I am God who's filled with love. That opening sentence of our Parsha, is it not what we say to our children all the time? When we hold our own children accountable, when we hold them accountable, because they have not lived up to our rules, they haven't lived within our boundaries, They've made mistakes or they violated what we ask of them. So on the one hand, on the one hand, there's justice. On the one hand, there's consequence. On the one hand, there's accountability. That's our job as parents, to hold them accountable, to teach them responsibility. But why are we doing that? Punitively? Are we doing that to punish? No, because when a person loves their child, they're willing to carry out justice with them. If a person would not love their child, they would not carry out justice. That's why we call it the month of Menachem of. I've shared many times from the Kotzker, Menachem of. That's a compassionate month of Av. It's the opposite. The month that has Tishabav, the month that is the harshest day on our calendar with the greatest suffering and the greatest loss throughout the millennia, that's called Menachem, the compassion. The answer is yes. Only a parent loves a child enough to hold them accountable. Only a parent loves a child enough to hold them accountable. Sometimes when I have to interact with our children and say, you can't do that, or here's the consequence of something you did. And they say, but my friend's parents let them go, and my friend's parents didn't punish them, my friend's parents. I say, well, your friend's parents don't love them as much as I love you. <laughs> I can't tell you that how much I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It's hard to be a parent to hold accountable. It's much easy to be flexible. It's much easier to say, do what you want, and it's fine, I'll let it go, and I'm not gonna teach you accountability and responsibility. 
it's, it's painful for the parent to have to hold the child accountable. It's painful to hear the kvetching and the relentless uh, uh, complaining about it and begging, please don't do it. And it's painful because you don't want to see your child lose out on something they want. But I say, and I mean from the bottom of my heart, I say, Nebuch, your friends' parents don't love them as much as I love you. They, they'll understand it. When they become parents, they'll understand it. They don't right now. But we who are parents, and we bless those who want to be parents, they should be blessed to know what parenting is. But we who are parents can understand what Hashem is saying. What you perceive as harsh justice, accountability, it's coming from love. It's coming from It's coming because I love you and I care about you. And that's why I'm trying to teach you this. So this opening Pasuk is a mission statement of all parenting. It's a statement of the relationship that we have with Hashem. We don't always appreciate it or see it or understand it, but that's where he's coming from. God continues. He says, I appear to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov as El Shaddai. He invokes another of his names right now, how I appear to him. Rashi says, I made them promises, and I always told them my name, Shaddai, I looked at the world and said, Die, enough. My name, Hashem, I did not make known to, I did not make known to them. My name, Hashem. So there's a comment of Rashi. Rashi says, I appeared to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And now Rashi jumps in. Lest you be confused, lest you have forgotten Sefer Bracious, lest you not remember who Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are. Jumps in Rashi with two words. Va'ira, I appeared, says Rashi. To whom? El Ha'avos. El Ha'avos. Rashi, El Ha'avos. In case you forgot who Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are, they are the Avos. They are the patriarchs. Shkoyach Rashi. That's Rashi, the great Rashi, the incomparable Rashi. That's the great Rashi. Ha'avos, shkoyach. What a perish. If I'd publish a Sefer today, and on the Pasuk, I appear to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and I say, I have an Einfall, I have a great Chap, I have a great commentary. Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, the Avos. You, you, I'd be sitting here by myself. Nobody would come to a shir. If that's my, I have a Dvar Torah. Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, those are the Avos. What's Rashi adding, Ella Avos? What is Rashi adding? Did that bother you? Okay, shkoyach. You gotta ask these questions. So in this beautiful Sefer, the Sitcha Elyon that I've been quoting, a collection of different Musar interpretations on the Parsha, he quotes from I never heard of him, Agon Rav Shammai Tzon, the Rosh Hashiv of Netzach Yisrael in Sunderland. Baruch Hashem, someone did the hard work and collected from people I never heard of. A fault in me, not in him. So he says the following. Apparently he has a Sefer called Beis Shammai. Beis Shammai. So in his Sefer Beis Shammai he says the following. What is God basically responding to Moshe? Moshe says, Moshe says, God, I gave, a, I gave a cook, I gave a look, I saw what's happening in Egypt. They're suffering. It's horrible. Murder, persecution, suffering, servitude. It's terrible, the oppression. How could you do such a thing? Where are you, God? How could you do such a thing? And God says to him, you know, you know, you had grandfathers, Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov. They never asked such a thing. They never challenged me in that way. They never had such a problem. Moshe, what's going on over here? So he wants to know, Rav Shammai, how could you hold Moshe accountable to live like Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov? Hello, Moshe Rabbeinu lo haya bedar gasam. They're Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov. These are the Avos, these are the patriarchs. So you're saying, Moshe, how dare you ask? They never asked. Okay, they were them and I'm me. I'm not on that level. That's why Rashi says, Va'ira el ha'avos. Kaddish baruch hu amr lo'lemoshe. Avram yitzav yakov heim ha'avos shelcha. V'yato yarashta mehem es ha'midah zo shel ha'muna b'shleimus. V'zeetz l'cha teva. Echik shisal dabar dvarim ka'ila. Had the Pasuk, the Pasuk just reads, God says to Moshe, how dare and how could you ask such a thing? Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov never asked. So Moshe could say, okay, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov were much greater than I am. So Rashi kicks in and says, you know what God was telling them? 
These were not three strangers. These were not three people far removed from you. These were not three ancient people that have nothing to do with you. These are the source of your DNA. You inherited their physical and spiritual legacy. If Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov could live and see what they saw and lean in and believe in me and never doubt, never question, isn't that the legacy they gave you? That's what Rashi's adding. If it were just Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, without any explicit reference or association, what's the relationship with you? So Moshe could say, okay, very nice. They never asked. They're much greater than I am. I have these questions. That's what Rashi's adding, is that what Hashem is saying is, these are the Avos. That's your mother and father. These are your Babin Zayda. Don't you follow in their footsteps? Didn't you inherit their legacy? Don't you have their DNA within you? You should have their nature as your second nature. They didn't ask and you shouldn't ask. If it's just that they were separate, independent people, they wouldn't necessarily obligate us. Who's to say we could live on their level? But when we look back at where we come from, when we look back at where we come from, when we understand what we, are, what we have been bequeathed, when we understand what we have inherited, when we understand the strength and the capacity that is within us, then we have no excuse not to dig deep, not to walk in their footsteps, not to realize that DNA, that potential, and that possibility in us. That's why it's so important to know where we come from, to understand the story of our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents. Stam is interesting. Stam is fascinating. It's good yichus for shaduchim. Why? Why does it matter? Because when we understand their resiliency and their tenacity, when we understand their faith in, in, in front of tremendous adversity, then we know what we have within us, the possibility within us. Then we know they didn't just give us irritable bowel syndrome if you're Ashkenazi. They didn't just give us whatever other Ashkenazi genetics they gave us. They gave us the genetics of Amuna and Tvekas and Bitachon. They gave us the tenacity and the resiliency. And that's what Rashi's adding. These are your Avos. It's not Stam Avram and Yaakov. These are the Avos, and these are the possibility that you have, and therefore it's Pasnish. You're capable of such greater, of so much more. Do you know where you're, where you're from? The Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Chetzadik Levracha, it's the Atar Rebbe's your type. The Lubavitcher Rebbe used to say, if a Jew said to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, they introduced, they got a dollar, they, they introduced themselves, they said, I don't have a background. You know, I'm here, but we're describing about somebody, oh, so-and-so, they don't, have, they don't have a Jewish background. They don't have much of a background. He would say, they're not a child of Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, of Saref, Garach, Valeya. They don't have a background. Chalila! God forbid a Jew ever introduces themselves or another Jew by saying they don't have a background. That's this Rashi, El Ha'avos. You don't have a background? Are you not a descendant? Are you not the progeny and offspring of Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, of Saref, Garach, Valeya? Do we know who we are and what we have within us? And that's what Hashem was saying. This was the time Hashem had on Moshe. Moshe, you're not Stam a person. Do you know your background? Do you know your yichus? Do you know where you come from? Dig deep, Moshe. Don't ask these questions. This is a time Hashem has on us because we have a tremendous, tremendous Yerusha. We have this tremendous, tremendous possibility. I'm going to do something I never do now. You know, every week I get annoyed, we get halfway through, and I don't get to everything I wanted to do. So the end of last year's Shir Parsha's Ve'era, all the things I didn't share, we're going to now work to the end of the Parsha and work backwards. I want to get to them. I don't want two years in a row the same things from last year and work backwards. So we're going to skip ahead in the Parsha. I trust you all know Parsha's Ve'era. There were a bunch of Makos, a bunch of plagues. You know the storyline that it's not going to utterly and thoroughly confuse you if we go out of order. So go to Paraches, Pasuk Yutes, top of page 332, chapter 8, verse 19. And here we have the fourth plague. Fourth plague was, We have the fourth plague, the swarm of wild beasts. A swarm of wild beasts. So the Torah says here, this is the plague of Arov. I'm going to send you a bunch of wild beasts. It's going to fill the houses of Egypt. And the land, the ground that they are on. 
Verse 18, Pasuk Yilches. On that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, upon which my people stands, that there will be no swarm there, so that you will know that I am Hashem in the middle of the land. So what does Moshe, what does God through Moshe say now? He says, I'm going to send these wild beasts, they're going to ravage the land. But Goshen, Montoya Circle, the Yiddish ghetto, the little enclave, where there's all minivans and bind the bima magnets, there, there will be no wild beasts. They will be protected from this plague. The little Jewish ghetto, the little Jewish shtetl, the little Jewish enclave, that little zip code of all the Honda Odysseys, there will be no wild beasts. Good. Next pasuk. Visanti fidus bein ami uvein amecha lemachar I will make a distinction between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign will come about. What did that pasuk add? The last pasuk didn't say. The very last pasuk said, Goshen, where the Jews live, the Jewish zip code, no Arov, no wild beasts. Then the next pasuk says, oh, and by the way, I'll make this distinction between the Jews and the non-Jews, the Egyptians and the Jewish people, and you'll know, Lamachar, tomorrow will be this big sign that not everybody's the same. These are my children, the Jewish people. I love them, I protect them. The rest of you, you're gonna be visited by wild beasts, the fourth plague, hopefully you're gonna finally learn your lesson and let my people go. What does pasuk Yates add to pasuk Yerches? What's new? Pasuk Yates over Pasuk Yilches. What's going on over here? What's going on over here? So Rabbi Soloveitchik says the following. Rabbi Soloveitchik says the following. In the Rabbi Soloveitchik, Oyuchamash, says the following. V'samti fidus beinami uveinamecha. I will make a distinction, a division between my people and your people. In the Havdalah, at the close of Shabbos, we bless Hashem who has separated between the holy and the profane, between light and darkness, between the Jewish people and the nations. When we analyze these examples of Havdalah or separation more closely, we notice a fundamental difference between them. The Havdalah between light and darkness is clear for all to perceive. It's measurable. If it's light or if it's dark, it's measurable. It's scientific. Anyone can see. You don't need a high IQ. You don't need a special pair of glasses. You don't need to have an instinct or an intuition. If you look outside, you know if it's light or dark, you can see the difference. Indeed, even animals and plants respond to these stimuli. With the arrival of sunset, flowers close their blossoms. When the sun rises, the blossoms open up to face it. So you don't even have to be the highest level in the Shema, a nefesh, the domain, the plant life, and the animal also responds to the difference between light and dark. The Havdalah of light and darkness is a Havdalah that is seen or sensed by all. The Havdalah between holy and profane, being Kodesh Lachol, is much different. The eye cannot perceive this Havdalah. A person needs to have special intuition to see with his heart, as this separation can only be sensed. After altern alternately mentioning the clearest of Havdalahs, dark and light, and the most hidden of Havdalahs between holy and profane, the author of Havdalah then poses a third Havdalah, between Yisrael and Ha'amim. So we have Beinor Lachoshech, that's measurable, that's clear. Everyone and everything understands that. You also have what's not measurable and what's not clear, which is Ben Kodesh Lachol, you need an intuition. You need to have a very sensitive spiritual soul to know the difference between holy and profane. In between them you have Ben Yisrael La'amim. Are Yisrael La'amim, the Havdalah, the distinction between Yisrael La'amim, is that more similar to the difference between Or Lachoshech or to the difference between Kodesh Lachol? That's the question of Rav Soloveitchik. Ben Yisrael La'amim. The difference between a Yid, a Jew, and a non-Jew is that more similar to the difference between light and dark or more similar to the difference between holy and profane? That's his question. The Havdalah between Jewish people and the nations is sometimes identical with the dichotomy between light and darkness. And at other times, with the dichotomy between sacred and profane. When Jews keep the commandments when they live their lives as a holy nation, the contrast between Israel and the nations becomes evident to all. When the Jew abandons Hashem, however, no longer is there obvious evidence of Havdalah. Yet as mired in sin as the Jew may be, deep in the Jewish soul there remains something holy and mysterious, which can neither be erased nor destroyed. The answer Rabbi Salavechik gives is both. It depends. When the Jew is living the ideal, when we are living with Torah values and Torah ideals and a Torah lifestyle, then the world looks at the Jew compared to the Gentile. And the, Jew, and the world says that Jew, 
That Jew is living for holiness, not happiness. That Jew has impeccable, incredible midos. Tomorrow night we're interviewing behind the Bima, Coach Steinmetz of the YU Max and the star player Ryan Terrell. 50 game win streak. The NBA, ESPN have taken note and tweeted and complimented. They have the biggest win streak in college basketball. A group of guys with yarmulkes who don't play on Shabbos, obviously, and representing Yeshiva University. Unbelievable. So we will ask the coach, what distinguishes and what differentiates a basketball team of Yeshiva versus any other university? Every other college team, what's different? Players wear yarmulkes, what else? Is there any other, do you daven, do you have a Dvar Torah? Is there an emphasis on Midos? If you ever watch any of the Max play, if you watch any of the games, you'll see, you know, in sports, certainly in professional sports, if there's a collision or the opponent is knocked down, you get up, you show them your back and you walk away. You can help the enemy. It's tough. You're tough, you bounce up first and you give them your back and you walk away, you're not gonna help the enemy. The YU Max team has an emphasis. Someone fought, you pick up the player on the other team. You help them up, you help them up. Midos, Midos. Ben Yisrael la'amim. When a Jew wears a yarmulke, and when a Jew plays with Midos, and when a Jew, it, it's an altogether different game. It's a different game they're playing. You can distinguish. That's the Yeshiva University team. It's unbelievable. Jews could dunk. Who ever heard of such a thing? It should be a bracha that you say or something. I never heard of such a thing. It's unbelievable. He had 51 points in a game. It's mamash. Nisan v'niflos. Unbelievable. So Ben Yisrael la'amim. You should be able to distinguish and see when we're living our ideal, when we're living the best version of who we're meant to be, then the world looks and takes note and says, Ben Yisrael la'amim. That's unbelievable. When we're not, when we're, when we're acting just like them, not that they are bad or evil or categorically wrong, but meaning when we give in to the corruption, corruption and the moral decay of the world, when we're not as easily discernibly distinguished in our behavior and who we are, there still is something within the Jewish soul that's different. So says Rabbi Salavechik in Mitzrayim, the Israelites lived in an era when both the Egyptians and the Jews worshipped idols. One could barely perceive a contrast between them. Yet the Rebona Shalom indeed separated between them. He discerned holiness in the soul which was profane and full of sin, and he therefore saved his people. The very word Pesach, Passover, expresses the idea of Havdalah when superficially there seems to be no reason to make such a, a separation. So the Rav says, you know what this Pasuk means? V'samti fidus V'samti fidus, I'll make a separation between my people and the nations of the world. That even when the Jews are not living up to who they're meant to be, even when it's not discernible and distinguishable based on their behavior, there's still something fundamentally and intrinsically different. Says Hashem, I will place that different. V'samti fidus, I will make that difference. I will make that difference. There's something maybe mysterious, maybe elusive, enigmatic, but there's something holy, something separate, something different about the yearning, about the hope, about the faith of the Jewish soul. What is that difference? What is that difference? All last year I shared with you from Rav Druk, Eshtamid, stories from Rav Druk, Tivrei Torah from Rav Druk. So I'll tell you, Rav Druk answers our question. Rav Yisrael Meir Druk, a great Rosh Hashiv in Eretz Yisrael. Today's Eish Tamed, all last year we shared incredible Divrei Torah. It's a tremendous Tamachacham, beautiful, beautiful Divrei Torah. And he has an amazing capacity when you meet him and you go for a bracha. He has this ability to see things and say things and it's really amazing. I'll tell you just a quick story. I was at an event last week, Ambassador David Friedman. If you haven't signed up yet, January 11th or 9th? Anyone have the weekly? We're hosting a beautiful event, co-sponsored by the Latino Coalition for Israel, a group of non-Jews who are more devoted to Israel than many of the Jewish people. We're having Ambassador David Friedman speak. There's a big group of speakers. It's a beautiful event. So I saw Ambassador Friedman at an event, and he said to me, I heard that you are into Rav Druk. I heard that you have a relationship with Rav Druk. Let me tell you a, an amazing Rav Druk story. So he told me the following story. He said in 2011, he was thinking about making Aliyah. He wanted to move to Israel. So he went to Rav Druk, he gave him his names, he asked for a bracha, and he said to Rav Druk, I'm thinking about retiring. He said, I was of capacity, I could have moved to Israel. I was able to give up my livelihood and retire. My children were positioned in life, I could have moved to Israel. And I thought I want to move to Israel, but Rav Druk poo-pooed and he went on to talk to me about my children. So he said, I went back to Rav Druk and I said, yeah, but my question really is about me. 
I want to move to Israel. Should I move to Israel now? He said at the time he was 53 years old. If I move to Israel now, there are things I could do in Israel. If I wait five more years, who knows uh, what will be? I'll be older. What difference will I make? Should I go right now? So Rav Druk turned to him and he said to him, work for five more years. You'll go to Israel in five years and I promise you, you'll be very busy. You'll have what to do. Fast forward five years to the month is when the president asked him to be the ambassador to Israel. Okay, do with it what you want. It's a great Rav Druk story. So Rav Druk says the following. He says the following. He says, you know the proper way to read this Pasuk? I will make a distinction between my people and your people. Don't read it. Tomorrow this distinction will be clear. Don't read it that way. You know what the proper way to read it is? I will make a difference between my people and Europe and the other people. And you know what the difference will be? Whether they live for Lamachar or not. Do they see? Are they aware of? Is there a consciousness of tomorrow? The non-Jew, the Amecha, the Egyptian, again, not every non-Jew, there are virtuous, wonderful, amazing non-Jews from whom we can learn so much. I, I always pause because I think it's very important to not create such a paradigm of distinction. They're all terrible, they're all Mitzrim, they're all Paro, only the Yidden, only the Jews are good. We don't live in such a world, we don't have such a world view. But when we talk about what the Torah empowers us, the Torah enables us, what the Torah charges us to live, a different consciousness, a different mindfulness, a different, a different ethic, a different moral. That's what I mean when we talk about Ami and Amecha. So says Rav Druk, you know what the difference is? The difference is our attitude to tomorrow. Do we only live for today? Or are we aware of, are we invested in, do we care about tomorrow? The average secular non-Jew lives for the moment, carpe diem, the right now, the here and now. Am I comfortable? Am I happy? Am I agitated? Am I in pain? Everything about my life is how I'm defined in the moment, in the here and now. How what I'm doing today impacts tomorrow? Will I be accountable in a world to come? Ah, who cares? Right now, this gives me pleasure. Right now, this is what I want to do. Right now, this makes me happy. But a Jew doesn't live for today. A Jew, while they're living today, is already aware of tomorrow and is still thinking about yesterday. We know that our entire life is all a hallway to the world to come. Right now I'm uncomfortable. Right now there's discomfort. Right now it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient to pay day school tuition. It's very inconvenient to pay day school tuition. It's expensive, so I do it. You know what kind of car I could drive? You know what kind of home I could live in? You know what kind of Starbucks, triple latte, caramel, whatever I could order? Every b'shach of kumecha? If I didn't have to pay day school, you know what kind of vacations I could take? You know what version of the iPhone I would have? So why pay, to, why pay yeshiva tuition? Because a Jew lives l'machar. What kind of tomorrow will there be if our, if our kinderlach don't have a Jewish education? So right now I live without. Right now I go into debt. You know, this generation, even within the Jewish community, we are an assimilated Torah community, so it's so hard. It's a big challenge in, in day schools, scholarship committees. People say, I want to drive this car with the new lease and the latest iPhone and take the vacations. I want the day school tuition, but someone else should pay. Give me the, the discount. When I grew up in the Masora I have, and I'm forever indebted to my amazing parents, they were willing to take out home equity loans and go into debt to pay every penny of that tuition because Lamachar, the value of Lamachar, you can't put a price tag on Lamachar on tomorrow. Didn't ask anyone else to pay for it. Said, I'll get to it. I'll pay for it. I'll take out another loan. I'll take out more debt. I'll pay for it. Because it's inconvenient. It's uncomfortable. So the vacations were in the back of the station wagon to Wildwood. It wasn't a, a cruise or a flight to the Bahamas. 
We didn't come back with the same tan as everybody else. So what? Lamachar, there's a tomorrow. There's a tomorrow. Can you put a price tag on tomorrow? You know what the difference is between my people and that people? The difference is Lamachar. Can you endure inconvenience and discomfort today because you believe in tomorrow? And similarly, if this would be pleasurable right now, but I know that if I indulge this pleasure today, I'm going to pay for it tomorrow. I'm going to pay for it tomorrow if I indulge this pleasure. If I indulge in Olam Haza pleasure today, I'm going to pay tomorrow in Olam Abba. Then the Yid has the power to say no, because I live Lamachar, I live for tomorrow. Says Rav Druk, if you read our Parshios, read Va'ere Bo, you will see that this is, this is Paro's whole life. His whole lifestyle is to live for today. Look what happens. Ten plagues, ten times. You see this movie plays ten sequels. What happens? Each time he's punished, he's suffering. God, you are righteous and I'm wrong and I'm wicked. Please, I beg, I pray. Reverse this plague. Power is ready to do whatever it takes. Just relieve this pain. But he only lives for the present. The moment the mock is reversed, the moment the plague is lifted, and then he has amnesia. He instantaneously forgets whatever happened yesterday because all that matters is today. And the second the plague is lifted, he goes right back to it. He doesn't do anything in order to protect and preserve it tomorrow. When it comes to a Jew, we're the opposite. We're always living for the future, not for the present. Did our parents who survived and came over and rebuilt, did they live for their present or they lived for their tomorrow, which is our today? Do we not owe it to the next generation to live not for our today, but to have an eye on tomorrow, what will be there today. This was the great This was the, the prophets always warned us. They said, stop living for today. Don't live like a, like a Gentile. Don't live only in one dimension. Live in three dimensions simultaneously. Live in the past and the present with an eye to the future, all simultaneously, all at once, all at once. And he goes, he has, he goes on in honor of Druk, he has several pages where he talks about this and gives further divrei Torah and further examples of this. You know what the difference is? Lamachar. Whether there's a Lamachar. Such a great shot. I'll give you one last example he gives. This is exactly what goes on between Esav and Yaakov. When Yaakov comes to Esav, Esav says, I'm hungry. He says, sell me the birthright. Sell me the birthright. So Esav says, I'm starving. So who cares about it right now? I'm hungry. Right? I'll throw it all away for right now, because right now I'm hungry. The Jew says, I'll be hungry another day. I'll be hungry another hour. I'm going to throw away tomorrow because I'm a little hungry today. But that wasn't Esav. And I need to eat. The status of the firstborn, that's a future thing. I don't care about the future. I'm hungry today. I'm hungry right now. I'm hungry right now. And that's what the Ramban writes. The Ramban there writes, that is the way of the foolish who eat and are merry and live for today and don't have an eye on tomorrow. So so combine these two insights, Rabbi Soloveitchik's insight, Vesamti Fidus, with the insight of Rav Druk, that the holiness of a Jew, the inherent intrinsic holiness of a Jew, is our time consciousness, is the ability that we live in this timeline, the past, the present, the future. That holiness is that we are aware of and ready to sacrifice for and committed to not only today, but also caring about, also caring about tomorrow. Let's go out of order a little bit. Perak Vav Pasuk Tes. Let's go back towards the beginning. Page 319. Before the plagues. Moshe comes. God says, I'm going to be with you. I got your back. 
There's a plan. Just stick with me. The Meshachacham Rameir Simcha Dvinsk says the word Dvekas, we have a mitzvah in the Torah, Vedavkaba, Vatem Hadvekem Bashem. We have a mitzvah called Dvekas. Dvekas means to cleave, to cling to God. But the Meshachacham says you're complicating it. Just translate the word. How do you say glue in Hebrew? Devek. God says, stick with me. Stick with me, I got your back. Stick with me. You know, you come to work, a new day at work, you've never been to work before, someone you know works there, and they say, just stick with me. You got a kid, new kid in school, who has a friend in the school, says, just stick with me. All day, just follow me, stick with me, I'll take care of you. Dveka says, Hashem says, stick with me, Devek. Glue yourself, attach yourself to me. Stick with me, it'll all be okay. Dvekas. So God, through Moshe, tells the people, I got your back. There's a master plan. Stick with me. What happens? Do the people hear it? Lo el Moshe. They don't hear it. Why? ruach kasha. So we've examined this pasuk many times before. Mark Rasan, if you're listening to like the sixth year in a row, you know that we talk about every year. ruach kasha. I want to give you a new interpretation this year. A new interpretation this year of this of this idea. ruach and kasha. Couple new interpretations this year. You ready? I gotta find it. Sorry, sorry, bear with me. One more moment. One more moment. They didn't hear Moshe, they reject. Who would reject? Someone comes and says, I have a message of hope, of optimism, of positivity, coming to save you. And they say, that's nice, that's lovely. Go elsewhere, go elsewhere. Perek Vav, Pasuk Tes. Okay. There it is. There it is. The Ramchal writes in Mesil Sasharim, Zuai Saitzas Paro Harasha Shaamar, Tichbar Havoda Alanashim, Vayisha Bidvar Sheker. The Ramchal, the second chapter of Mesil Sasharim, we don't usually quote the Ramchal as an interpretation on the parsha on Chumash, but there in Mesil Sasharim, the Ramchal has an insight relevant to this Pasuk. You know what the Kotsa Ruach and Avodah Kasha is? Do you know what is the downfall, the kryptonite? Do you know what ultimately compromises or corrupts a person when they are mindless, when they are not paying attention, when a person is fragmented and divided, when a person is simply momentum is carrying them through life. When we are mindless, we're not contemplative, we're not thoughtful, we're not thinking. We are simply momentum carrying us through life. That is the end of a person. So says the Ramchal, Paro understood that. And Paro said, I need to keep them busy. I need to occupy them. I need them to be so burdened by the relentless work that they don't have any oxygen to breathe. They have no space or margin to think. They have no room to dream or to hope. That's the way I will bring them down. The Ramban also writes similarly, that they were so preoccupied and occupied, they were so burdened and they were so working, there was no margin, there was no space, there was no ability to dream, to think, to believe, to hear a message. So Moshe comes and he says, Chevra, great news! I'm there to take you out! Chevra, I have incredible news! You don't have to live this way anymore! You could lose that weight! You can improve your health! You can get that job! You can make that living! You could fix your marriage! I have great news! And they say, get lost. It is what it is. This is how we're stuck. It'll never change. You know what caused them to reject his message? He says, I'm here to save you. I'm gonna take you out. I'm here to liberate you. And they say, get lost. Why Kotze Ruach and Avodah Kasha? Because when you deny and deprive someone the margin to think, to dream, to believe, then they don't even believe they're capable of it. They don't even believe they're capable of it. Lefiza Nira She'en Shem Tfi Levnei Yisrael B'mash Loshamu Al Moshe She'kein B'matzavim Shalayim Mestugalim Lipanos Libam Lashum Divrei Tanchumim Sometimes a person is under such pressure, such a burden. They're so pressured, they can't even, they have no space to think, to dream, to believe. However, the Sfarno has a very different interpretation. The Sfarno says on the words, 
Lihizbonain Bachulze. Beinyan Shiftahu be Yeshua's Hakel Yusbarach, the Yashavam, Lutstaka, Kenyan Avram, Lachelon is Kayim Behem and Asatios Alachem, Aval, not Nalivnaim. So the Svorno has an incredible interpretation. Everybody listen carefully, because I think this is relevant to the pandemic that we continue to be living through. The Svorno says the following. The Svorno says to be so pressured that you can't hear a message of hope or optimism, it's excusable, it's explainable. But the Svorno says, you know what their problem was? They didn't listen to his bonein b'chozeh. They were so zoomed in on the next brick they had to make. They were so zoomed in on the next piece of data or statistic. They were so zoomed in on the latest guideline of the Egyptian CDC that they didn't take a moment to sit back and say, what is the message of all of this? What is the deeper meaning of what we're living through? What am I meant to take away or to understand? How am I meant to change? How is the world forever going to be different because of what we're going through right now? They were so knee deep in the details and the data. They were so occupied and preoccupied with their suffering and the struggle that they failed to ever take a step back and say, what is this really all about? If you don't believe in Hashem, if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in God, if you're an atheist or an agnostic, then there is no deeper meaning and there is no purpose and there is no reason and there is no message. There's simply viruses and bacteria. There's simply pandemics. There's simply rapid and PCR testing. That's all there is because there's nothing more. If you don't believe in God, then you just study history and you realize, which we should have, by the way, that apparently pandemics come up once every century or so, why we were so arrogant to think that it would never happen to us is an indictment maybe of our leaders, maybe of all of us, I don't know. But if you were a student, none of us were students of the history of infectious disease. I shouldn't say none of us. I'm going to guess most of us. We shouldn't have been so arrogant to think. So if you're just a student of the history of infectious disease, you say, yeah, every now and then the world corrects itself. Some lab releases it, or it just happened on its own, or someone ate a bat, or whatever happened. But it happens every century or so. So this was our turn. But if you're a believing Jew, if you're a believing Jew, if you're a ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim, if we live in a world in which there's a Hashem and He controls the world, then COVID and Delta and Omicron, it has meaning. What is the meaning? We don't, we don't, get, we don't get the benefit of a printout. We don't get the benefit of an email that tells us the deeper meaning. But lehizbonein b'chozeh, that's the word of the Sfarno. They didn't have, they had kotzeruach and avodah kasha, and they therefore failed lehizbonein b'chozeh. Be'inyan sh'yiftachu b'yeshua sakel yizbarach. They stopped and they didn't, they didn't think about, is God going to save us? What does God want us to do differently? What is Hashem's message for us? How am I meant to be different? What am I meant to take away? How am I meant to change from this? So from this, Rav Chaim Pencha Scheinberg Zatzal, the Rosh Hashiva of Torah Or, learned from this, They were accountable for never stopping to zoom out that lens to ask that question, what's it really all about? What are we meant to take from it? And I think this is a big indictment for us as well. That as much as here and there we give a little drusha, we write an article, we talk about you know, the difference between essential and non-essential, and we talk about, uh, you know, we've learned little lessons from this, the dis- distancing, and we don't want to be distant from one another, and what is a mask and Purim, and we've given a lot of drushas, we've written a lot of articles, but in a sort of global sense, what is this about? And why is it happening? And though we're not God and we can't play God and we don't know why God does what he does, we are meant to learn from it, to radically change from it, to be transformed by it, to be contemplative about it. I don't think we put in a fraction of the energy that we're tracking and debating. You believe, you don't believe the mass, the no mass, I'm double vaxxed, I'm triple vaxxed, it's the cold, it's not a cold, it could be much worse. What's the data out of South Africa? What will be the data here? Hospitalizations matter, no transmission matter. We spend endless energy discussing, debating, reading, talking, thinking. It's become like our pastime and our hobby and everything else. 
do we put in a fraction of that amount of energy and time and discussion? What do you think Hashem wants from us? Communally, individually, as families, the way we make our simchas, shul, davening, what we take for granted, talking, distancing. There's so many... Do we... Are we misbonin b'chose? Are we thinking about and having those discussions too? I'll tell you one more on this pasach. Kotzeruch and Avodah Kasha in this new sefer that we picked up. And Mendi, once in a while I buy my own svarim. This one I bought. Shulchan HaShabbos with Rav Nachman. A collection of Rav Nachman of Breslov, but organized on the parsha. He says, May HaPasach HaZeev Shalav and Tamiya Sholo Keshkarin HaMasoz Bnei Yisrael B'Midbar. From this pasach you could ask a question of this generation. We know this generation is labeled, Chazal called this generation the Dordea. They are the most enlightened, they are the most spiritual, they are the most virtuous, they are the most righteous. This is the Dordea. This is the generation that stood at the base of the mountain and received the Torah. This is the generation that lived through the ten plagues. This is the generation that experienced greater revelation than any other. So how could it be that they didn't believe in Hashem? They're complaining, they're in they're... How could it be? All day long, they're kvetching. How could it be? How could it be they didn't believe here? This is the door, Deya, and they turn around Moshe and say, nah, we don't accept your message. And then, say for Bamidbar, we go with them through the desert. We're hungry, we're tired, we're thirsty, we're this. We're... What happened to this door, Deya? Sort of Nasan of Breslov, and his Likute Halacha, Sichus Tefillin. He says, you might think that the reason they didn't accept Moshe's message in our Pasha, and the reason they complain and they kvetch and they krat the whole Sefer Bamidbar is because they lacked belief, you might think. He says, This is not a failure to believe in God. It's dafka because they so believed in God, they thought God is so great and we are so unworthy. They fell into what they call in Hasidus, mochen dekatnus. Mochen dekatnus means a small mindset. A small mindset. A broken mindset. A weak mindset. They said, you know what? With all of our shortcomings, with all of our shortcomings and all of our imperfections, we're not roi. We're not worthy for bread and water. We're not worthy for miracles in the desert. So every time they encounter and they engage hardship where they need and rely on Hashem, it's not a failure to believe in Him, it's the opposite. They so believe in Him where they fail to believe is in themselves. The Medrash says, Here the slave nation Moshe comes and he says, I've got great news. I'm here to liberate you. I'm here to take you out. I'm here to save you. And they say, ah, get lost. Ain't gonna happen. Turn around. Why? Because they didn't believe in God? Says the Yaakot Ruveni. Says Rav Nasan of Breslev. No, because they didn't believe in themselves. They said, we're not worthy than more than this. This is our condition. This is our lot in life. We're meant to suffer. We're meant to be hungry. We're meant to be broken. But such thinking is mochen dekatnus. Such thinking is kotzer ruach. Such thinking is a shortness of ruach. You have no spirit. Where's your spirit and ambition for greatness? Where's your amuna, your belief in yourself and what you're capable of? Where's that aspiration? Where are the mochen degadlus? Where is that drive for greatness? This relates to what we began with. The shir comes full circle. As alas, we have to end. Just like the Baal Rebbe said, how can you say about a Jew yourself, you have no background? You have no background? Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are not some three people in a history book. Zagdrashi, Avos. Those are your patriarchs. Those are your fathers. They put that DNA in you. Do you know who you are, what you're capable of? Do you know where you come from and who you could be? They're not stop three people, Avram Yitzchak Yaakov. Others. Those are your tatas, those are your fathers. You have their DNA in you. 
When we don't believe in where we come from, we don't believe where we can go, then we don't hear the message even of a Moshe Rabbeinu who comes to tell us the good tidings and the good news. Said Reb Nassim, this Pasuk is a reminder, you got to break out of the Mochen Dekatnes. Get out of that small, broken mindset. you got to break free from that mindset, I'm unworthy, I'm incapable, I'm unimportant, it won't happen, into the Mochen Degadlus. Do you know who I come from? Ha'avos, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. We're B'nai Malachim. We are royalty, we're the children of Hashem. Paro, the Mitzrim, are an example of the Yetzirah. This is how the Yetzirah continues to try to undermine and sabotage us. Until this very day, the Yetzirah tries to sabotage us with the Mochen Dekatnes. You're unworthy, you're nothing, you're incapable. Look how many times you've tried and you failed, don't bother. Kotzeruach, we have no spirit, we have no soul, we have no ambition but we got to break out of that. The only way we will redeem ourselves and go free, the only way we will transform and make change is to break free from the mochen de katnas to mochen de gadlas, to break out into the vision, the vision of greatness. Okay, at least we got to a few things from the end, but we still only did halfway. What could you do? Tomorrow morning, Mesil Sasharam 8.15, living with Amuna 8.45, going by in the Bima. I told you with Coach Steinmetz and Ryan Terrell at 9 p.m. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.